Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Indians 4, the Kansas City Royals nothing. And with Chicago having an off day, the Indians move into sole possession of first place at 17 and 13. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10 games. They're on a 5-game win streak and they're now up to a plus 11 run differential. Royals are now down to a minus 14 run differential on the season. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And it was a pretty solid afternoon baseball game from your Cleveland Indians. And let's get into it. Let's break down the storylines. No phone calls today. You guys, you know, you folks, you broke the streak. Yeah, we had two calls in a row, but you broke the streak. No phone calls to take today maybe tomorrow maybe this weekend we'll get some calls and some emails with the battle of ohio coming up against the reds so let me know your thoughts and just like our last few phone callers we'll discuss them on the show all right storylines of this game i gotta say the biggest storyline that i was picking up was the fact that the first three rbis from indians hitters were all from hitters who were down in the count They were all down in the count, and they all battled back in different ways. And the first one was Ahmed Rosario. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Ahmed Rosario's approach was here, except to maybe be aggressive. And uh, he's got Harold Ramirez out there on base. This is in the, uh, the second inning. And Harold Ramirez doubled to lead off the inning. And Naylor strikes out behind him, which brings up Ahmed Rosario. Now, we saw, I think it was the day before, I, th- I think it was Wednesday's game, where some guys were doubling to lead off innings, and then we were stranding them on base. We couldn't bring them around early. Eventually, we got it going. Well, Harold Ramirez doubles to lead off the second, and with one out, Ahmed Rosario comes off. He fights off a four-seam fastball that was inside off the plate and fouls it off. Duffy throws him the exact same pitch in right under his hands, 94.7 mile per hour pitch. This time he fights it off, but instead of going foul, it drops down the right field line, bringing Harold Ramirez into score. So down in the count 0-1, he fights off a pitch that he has no business swinging at and uh, hits it 68.4 mile per hour bloop that absolutely in the perfect spot, 217 feet down the right field line. It actually had an expected batting average of 610 because no right fielder is going to be able to get to that ball. So uh, he drops a hit in and we're able to bring the first run into score. The next batter who came up in an RBI situation, this time it's Jordan Luplo in the fifth inning. It's his third time seeing Danny Duffy. And uh, Rosario grounded out to start the inning. Chang popped out. Rene Rivera, who we will get into, singled to left field. Cesar Hernandez singles on a line drive to right field, which Cesar Hernandez had a pretty good game, which brings up Jordan Luplo. And uh, Luplo gets into a bit of a battle here. Duffy drops a changeup on him for a called strike one. Uh Change up that probably should not have been called strike one, but the strike zone was a little erratic yesterday. It's actually high and wide, but it gets called a strike. Uh, then he attacks him with fastballs. Throws a fastball high. 
throws a fastball down the plate that uh, he fouls off that I think he was mad about that he should have hit. Throws him another fastball, high but in the zone that he fouls off. Then he's going to get him with a slider, which is a good approach. You've shown this guy three fastballs in a row. You're ahead in the count one and two. Throw him a slider, a low slider. The problem is I don't think it broke as far across the plate as Duffy wanted. It kind of spun right there in the center of the plate. And Luplo did something that we do not see Luplo do very often. Down in the count, a lot of these guys are still swinging for the fences. They're still trying to lift the ball. Instead, he drops the bat head on the ball. He goes down for a low pitch and just puts some wood on it, hits it hard. You can hit it low and hard. You can hit a hard grounder. It can be effective, and it's effective right here. Hits it 85 mile per hour, so not not crushed. We've seen grounders over 100 miles per hour. Uh, 85 miles per hour, but he puts it in the right spot, splits third base and shortstop. It's got an expected batting average of 380, and he singles through the left side to bring in Rene Rivera to score. So a big at-bat from Jordan Luplo. I mean, at this point, it's still a one nothing game. McKenzie is walking people. You know, things are a little unsure. This run was huge here to give the Indians a little bit of breathing room. And he did it from behind in the count and kept battling. All right. The next at-bat, the next example of this is in the sixth inning. This time, Ahmed Rosario's up. Ahmed Rosario had himself a pretty good game. But once again, he's behind in the count, still facing Danny Duffy. I believe this is his third time seeing Duffy. And uh, Duffy again starts attacking him with fastballs, this time in the zone. He follows off a fastball on the first pitch, follows off an inside fastball on the second pitch, lays off a curveball in the dirt. Lays off a four-seam fastball up underneath his hands, which is the pitch he hit down the right field line, remember. So now he's learned to take that pitch. He probably, uh, you know, he was happy with what happened in that second inning, but probably not the approach that uh, he wants to take. Then he, he gets a changeup. He gets a changeup, which speeds up Ahmed Rosario's bat, and he smokes it out into left center field, for a triple. I mean, he was hustling, hustling out of the box. Uh, 95.6 mile per hour exit velocity, so it qualifies as a hard hit ball. It only had an expected batting average of 370. I, I'm surprised because it seemed like a pretty good gapper. I'm surprised the expected batting average is so low. Uh, but it's a triple, and Fermil Reyes is able to come in and score. So again, a guy down in the count, one and two, after fouling off three pitches, and fighting, you know what? I lied. He did not lay off that four-seam fastball up underneath his hands. He fouled it off. He was still swinging at that pitch. He didn't learn anything from his first at-bat. I read that wrong. He fouled that pitch off. So he had fouled off three fastballs in that that at-bat, and then he gets the change up, and he does damage with it. Again, another pitch that's down. Another pitch that... um, you know, if you try that huge launch angle on, you're probably going to swing through. I mean, the launch angle on this was only 19 degrees. So he really went down and just tried to make hard contact and got enough lift on it to drive it out into the gap. So yeah, so another good approach from Ahmed Rosario here, who's going up hacking. I mean, he swings at four out of five pitches here. Ahmed Rosario, this is why putting Ahmed Rosario in the leadoff spot is kind of ridiculous. He's up there hacking. He's up there swinging. That's his approach is to be incredibly aggressive. 
You want a leadoff hitter with a little more patience than that. So uh, that's why hitting sixth, you know, it's kind of perfect for him, right? Right in that spot. Um, yeah, but this triple was huge. It really got the team fired up. Ahmed Rosario was fired up. And then the last RBI hit for the Indians came from Fermil Reyes off of Jake Brents. This one, different situation here. He takes a fastball in the zone called strike. He takes a fastball in around his knees for a ball. And then he throws him a slider, a slider that does not slide, a slider that just kind of spun right there on the inside edge of the plate. And slowing the pitch down sped up for Mio Reyes' bat. He launches it 108.5 miles per hour, 27-degree launch angle, 414 feet into the left field seats for a home run. And uh, apparently he likes hitting at Kauffman Stadium and Progressive Field. Those are his two favorite places, apparently, because he was really cooking this series. And uh, he's going to get another five-game homestand here. So let's see if he can continue to dominate Progressive Field uh, like he has been all season. So yeah, Fermil Reyes with a big hit, a big insurance run. Uh, even though it makes it a four-run lead, it doesn't change Francona's approach. He still sticks with the arms he trusts in the bullpen, and the Indians get the job done. So there's your storyline. A bunch of hitters who were behind in the count and figured out a way to put the ball in play. Uh, You know, for me, Reyes, it was a 1-1 count, but I'll still give him credit here for having a really good approach and, um, yeah, and doing some damage with the bat. So that is our first storyline. Second storyline, was this Tristan McKenzie's best start of the season? The final line on Tristan McKenzie, he goes five innings plus. He did pitch to two batters in the sixth inning. So five innings plus, two hits, no earned runs, four walks, which is bad, but five strikeouts to balance that out. Uh, Yeah, he gets the win too. It's his first win of the season, which is probably nice for the kid. You know, he probably feels good to have a one in that win column instead of a big old zero sitting there. Uh, Sandlin comes in and gets a hold. Karinczak and Klasse don't. It's not a save situation once Vermeil Reyes hits that home run. So no save for Klasse. But they do handle their business in the eighth and ninth inning respectively. So yeah. So let's get into Tristan McKenzie. What was he throwing here? Well, he was throwing his four-seam fastball a ton. He threw 65 of his 92 pitches were four-seam fastballs. The next most was the slider at 15, the curve at 11, and one changeup. His CSW on the day, called strikes plus whiffs, was only 24%. His best pitch in that category was the slider, which was 40%. So yeah, uh, they uh, they got a lot of fastballs, and they were swinging at a lot of fastballs. Uh, there were 19 foul balls and 10 balls put in play off of his fastball. So of 32 swings, they only whiffed three times. But they did take 10 for strikes. So, yeah, he was really, really relying on that fastball. I would love to see him balance this out a little bit more and trust his off-speed stuff because he does have pretty good off-speed stuff. Uh, Jumping over to fan graphs because fan graphs gives us some pretty interesting stats over here uh, where you can compare the game log and really take a look at what's changed over the course of uh, five, six starts now for Tristan McKenzie. Um, the the game against the White Sox is an anomaly. Like, it's such an outlier because he gave up one hit, but it was that grand slam to uh, Tim Anderson. 
So it's such an outlier for his season stats. Uh, the thing that stands out to me here on Fangraphs is the ground ball to fly ball ratio was up at, up at one. So an even ground ball to fly ball ratio. 33% line drive, 33% ground ball, and 33% fly balls yesterday from McKenzie or from the Royals against McKenzie. Uh, yeah, his his next closest f- ground ball to fly ball ratio was 0.5 against his second start against the White Sox. So yeah, uh, he was really, whatever he was doing to those Royals hitters yesterday, they were topping the ball and they were driving into the ground. Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't hitting the ball hard. 58.3% were hard hit, which is the highest that he's given up of the season. Again, that White Sox game is an outlier because that's a 100% hard hit because he only gave up one ball hit and that was the grand slam. So Again, that's an outlier. 58.3% is the most hard-hit balls that he's given up, but it is not uh, when they're ground balls. When you're getting more ground balls out of it, 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 it is not necessarily a problem. It's okay to pitch to contact a little bit and be aggressive and keep the ball in the strike zone, which is what he said after the game he was trying to do. And it worked. It was really effective for him yesterday. The pitch mix is about what he's been doing. 67% fastballs is right in line with everything he's done. Everything's been in the 60% range. Uh, The slider, same thing in the teens, 16%. The curveball at 12%. That's exactly what he's been doing all season. And the changeup, a little less on the changeup, but he's been doing that lately. His first two starts, he was throwing a few more changeups, but kind of laid off it in his last three or four starts. All right, the plate discipline numbers. Uh, Nothing really stood out here uh, except he got back to some things he was doing after that White Sox game. That White Sox game, his first pitch strikes was only 18.2%. I mean, he had a ton of walks in that game. Four walks in an inning, a little over an inning, less than two innings. So, yeah, so he's he's back throwing his first pitch strikes, 61.9%. It's in line with what he's been doing most of the season, right around 60%. The swinging strike uh, rate was actually down. It was actually his lowest of the season. Um, his contact percentage was actually the highest of the season. 77.3% contact percentage. Uh, his only other start in the 70s was his first start against the White Sox, which was at 71.9%. So by far the most contact he's given up all season, but his best start. So that goes to show, as great as the strikeouts are, and his strikeout rate was pretty good yesterday. Um, yeah, you can pitch to contact and still survive in this league. You just have to have the right approach. You just have to have the right pitch mix. And you just have to be able to move that ball around to different locations. Speaking of different locations, I thought that the strike zone yesterday was uh, a little bit interesting. Uh, I thought watching the game that the uh, the uh, umpire at the behind home plate was a little inconsistent with his strike zone. Now, looking at the illustrator for uh, over here on Baseball Savant for the pitchers yesterday, and I'm just isolating this so I can see the balls and the called strikes. So things that were called strikes, things that were called balls, eliminating swinging strikes, and yeah. The Indians pitching 
definitely got some calls yesterday. It was consistent, though. He was giving a little bit more on the left side of the plate from the catcher's view, okay? The left side of the plate as opposed to the right side of the plate. So at least there was a little bit of consistency there where you knew if that ball was coming in on you as a righty or away from you as a lefty, you may have to expand your zone a little bit. Because uh, that's, you know, that's what we asked for, right? Consistency. This ump, eh. So McKenzie got two pitches that were definitely off the plate inside. One to Salvador Perez on a 3-0 count. That probably should have been a walk, but he gets the call. And then on an 0-1 count, he gets one way inside on Andrew Benatendi. Or way to the left edge of the plate, actually. Is Benatendi a lefty or a righty? That would change, uh, you know, how he felt. He's a lefty, so this would have been a way to Benatendi. And he gets a called strike there to make it an 0-2 count. So, uh, yeah, he definitely got some. Sandlin got one uh, on a 3-2 count. He got one way outside on Ryan O'Hearn. And uh, I wonder if that was the check swing. I wonder if that was the check swing from O'Hearn in the seventh inning where he stared down Angel Hernandez. Um, for Karinchek, everything that was in the zone was called. Karinchek actually got robbed of one. He threw one at the bottom of the zone that definitely should have been a strike and was not called. Uh, the same thing for Sandlin. He got robbed of one. This was bizarre. Two pitches in a row, back-to-back. He throws a high pitch to Michael Taylor on the right edge of the plate. In the zone, doesn't get called. Um, just stares at it. Throws him the next pitch, is low in the zone, even a little more outside, still on the edge of the plate. This one gets called a strike. I'm sure Michael Taylor at that point was going, which is it? Which is it? Am I swinging at this thing or am I not swinging at this thing? You know, these are both pitches away to Taylor. And uh, yeah, that was inconsistent. Uh, And then Class A does get one. Eh, It's on the edge. He gets one on the edge to O'Hearn to uh, start him off the at-bat on a called strike. Um, so yeah, so the Indians pitching definitely, if you look at it all combined, which is the last view that the illustrator will give you on baseball savant, the Indians definitely got some calls off the edge, but also got some, uh, some strikes that were called balls for the, uh, for the Royals. It's not as significant. Uh, most of the stuff Duffy threw in the zone was called a strike. Uh, he did get robbed of two pitches at the bottom of the zone that should have been called strikes. Uh, one to Rene Rivera that on a one-two count that would have been a strikeout, and uh, one to start off Jose Ramirez in an at bat. So Duffy uh, got robbed of a few. I'm sure if we look at any game, we will probably find these anomalies here in the strike zone. But it did feel like the stri- strike zone was a little inconsistent yesterday, and it did seem like looking at the illustrator here that it favored the Indians just a little bit. All right, but. Uh, like I said, McKenzie's best start of the season, and then the bullpen behind him. The Indians' bullpen is just dominating this series. Nick Sandlin actually goes two innings. I was shocked that he brought Sandlin back out to go two innings, Uh, especially with a young guy. You figure he comes out, he dominates an inning, especially after Tristan McKenzie had put people on base. Don't forget the situation that Sandlin was coming into um, in that sixth inning he let McKenzie go out there to see if he could go a little bit further, and he ends up giving a single to Benatendi and then walking Carlos Santana. So he's coming in with two guys on base. He gets Salvador Perez to ground into a double play, and then gets Jorge Soler to ground out to get out of the inning. Comes back out for the seventh, gets Hunter Dozier to fly out, and then strikes out O'Hearn and strikes out Michael Taylor. So a really, really good pitching performance from Sandlin. 
And then Karen Check comes in. Classe comes in. Karen Check with a walk and a strikeout. Classe did give up two singles up the middle, but he's able to bear down. I believe he also gets a double play in the ninth inning. Yep, he got Hunter Dozier to ground into a double play and then gets Ryan O'Hearn to strike out, I believe strike out looking, um, to end. Let's look at that matchup. Yep, throws him a cutter on the outside edge for a called strike. Throws him a cutter down at the knees that he fouls off. Goes back outside with a cutter for a called strike to end the game. And he was pumped. And yeah, uh, great pitching by the Indians overall yesterday. The bullpen has just been absolutely outstanding. If I were to give MVP for this series, I would give it to the bullpen. Because they were absolutely outstanding. Even Bieber struggled a little bit in this series. And the bullpen definitely brought us back. In, kept us in every game and dominated from like the 6th, 7th inning on. So huge job by the bullpen all series. The last storyline, the last thing we got to talk about is who is Rene Rivera? Who is this guy? I, I'm sure you heard uh, yesterday on the broadcast, um, uh, what's his name? Underwood went through the guy's whole career. I'm not going to run through the whole thing, but it starts in 2004 in Seattle, and he just bounces around all over the place. Stints with uh, San Diego, Tampa Bay for a while. The Mets, he's been with the Mets for a while, and now he ends up in Cleveland. Uh, They brought him in as a little bit of insurance. He's 37 years old. He's been doing this for a long time. Former second-round pick of the Seattle Mariners in 2001. 20 years later, He's still there doing it for the Indians. And what a game this guy had yesterday. He goes three for four with a double. He, he almost stole a base on a wild pitch, but he actually slid so aggressively that he overslid the bag and got tagged out at second, which was a pretty funny play. Um, yeah, three for four on the day with a double and a run scored from the bottom of the order. And honest to God, it's more production than we've gotten from any catcher this season. The $8 million we have tied up at catcher and Rene Rivera walks in off the street and goes three for four against the Royals. It was incredible to see. Uh, you know, we, Perez is going to be down for a few days. He's on the IL with the broken finger. So Rene Rivera is going to be here. It's going to be really interesting to see who gets more at bats, Rene Rivera or Austin Hedges. We didn't see how Rene Rivera handled the running game. Uh, the Royals weren't running really yesterday. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does in that because that's obviously been a strength of Indians catchers, right? Handling the running game. But he handled the pitching staff really well yesterday. I could tell you that he got the most out of Tristan McKenzie yesterday. And so, yeah, so for while Perez is down, is Rene Rivera going to get more at-bats than Austin Hedges? It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, they're both uh, right-handed hitters, so it's not like Francona is going to match him up lefty-righty. Who's going to start? Who's going to start tomorrow when the, or today when this uh, Red Series begins? It's going to be really interesting to see. I think you got to keep Rene Rivera in there, right? The guy... Guy comes in hot. You got to let that run. You got to see how long that hot streak is going to carry him. So, if it were me, I'm starting Rene Rivera tonight. Um, it's a great story, and for going three for four and really being a spark plug. I I think that the whole team was pumped that this old guy, uh, old guy, he's a year older than me. 
this old guy was able to come in and uh, you know do something from the ninth spot in the lineup. I think it really sparked this team. Uh, so I'm giving Rene Rivera MVP for the day. He definitely earned it yesterday with the hustle, with the aggressiveness at the plate, and handling this pitching staff, helping Tristan McKenzie get his first win. Rene Rivera, your MVP for the day. Other, other notable things, Ahmed Rosario was two for four. Harold Ramirez had another big hit. Fermil Reyes had another big hit. Jose Ramirez struggled. He had two strikeouts. He was 0 for 4. It seemed like he was just hacking at anything and just wanted to get on the plane and get back to Cleveland. Um, Jordan Luplo with a big RBI hit. And then Cesar Hernandez goes 3 for 5 yesterday with a double. He finally has his average back up over 200. I think at the end of the season, we are going to laugh at where Cesar Hernandez's batting average started this season. I think it's going to be pretty respectable by the time September rolls around. All right, so that's all my thoughts. Other MLB news. That's all my thoughts on the game. Uh, uh, Before we get out of here, some other MLB news. Carlos Carrasco, former Cleveland Indian that we all love, Cookie, got moved to the 60-day DL because of his hamstring. It just wasn't progressing. It wasn't getting any better. Uh, so it's not like he had any setbacks. They say it just wasn't getting any better. And I think I think this is just a roster thing. I think they needed some roster spots. And they needed to call some guys up. And the easiest way to do that was to move Carrasco to the 60-day DL. Carrasco will be back. He, he will probably be back uh, once the summer really gets going. But for right now, he's on the 60-day DL, which none of us want to see. We all, I think everybody in Cleveland... Wishes that guy nothing but success, whether he's playing for the Mets, wherever he goes in his career after this, we wish him nothing but success. So hopefully he can work things out and maybe by, you know, end of June, by the all-star break, he can come back and have a really nice second half of the season. The other news is Albert Pujols. The Angels released Albert Pujols in the final year of that mega 10-year contract, 10 years, $240 million dollars. The guy's been doing this for 20 years. Absolutely incredible. He made his debut April 2nd, 2001. Um, He is 41 years old right now. And there are people on Indians Twitter who are like, let's get Albert Pujols. Come on, let's bring in Albert Pujols to be a right-handed first baseman. Right? He can face left-handed pitching. It'll be perfect. Let's platoon Albert Pujols here in Cleveland. (sighs) Guys, come on. Now, they'll point out to you that this season, even though his overall, even though overall this season he's got a 198 batting average, he's got a 622 OPS. His OPS plus, remember the plus sets the league average to 100, is only 73. Now, the Indians' first basemen are not much better than that. I ain't even going to pull up the Indians' first baseman numbers. They're pretty bad. Albert Poulos does have a stolen base on the air. That's fun. Um, But they will point out to you that against left-handed pitching, uh, a limited sample size, only 28 plate appearances. He's hitting 259 with an 878 OPS, which actually in a platoon situation is not terrible. But at this point, at 41 years old, it would it would be it would amount to a publicity stunt. There are there are guys that are knocking on the door to get onto this Indians roster, right? We've got Owen Miller who's hitting the crap out of the ball right now. We've got Bobby Bradley, who we all want to see be given a chance at the major leagues. We've got Nolan Jones, who's looking for any position besides third base to make it onto this roster. 
And by signing Albert Pujols, you would block all three of those guys. And they are coming. They are coming sooner rather than later because Yu Chang is absolutely struggling. The problem is Owen Miller, could any of those guys play? Well, you got two shortstops here. Owen Miller might be able to play enough positions to make it work. Yu Chang is your utility guy. He plays all four infield positions. And that's the hard part that Francona doesn't want to give up right now because you see a situation where Cesar Hernandez uh, right, took that bunt off the hand and Chang had to play second base for a game and a half. Now, with Owen Miller, that would work. With Nolan Jones, I don't know if that works. With uh, Bobby Bradley, that obviously doesn't work. You, c- you can't replace Chang with Bobby Bradley. Uh, you'd be pre- replacing Jake Bowers with Bobby Bradley. And with Nolan Jones, I don't know if he's ever played second base. Now, could Ahmed Rosario or Andres Jimenez play second base in a pinch and shift around that way? I think that's the way it would work. I think that's how Nolan Jones could come up. Uh, is Nolan Jones a right-handed hitter? I actually don't know. No, Nolan Jones bats left. Okay, so that wouldn't work as a replacement necessarily for Yu Chang. I mean, uh, if you're giving up on this uh, left-right split, you know, platoon, then it would work. Owen Miller is a right-handed guy, so that would work in replacing Chang as that right-handed bat off the bench. So, yeah, I would much, as, as fun as it would be to see Albert Pujols in an Indian's uniform for half a season... It was fun when we did this with Napoli. It was fun when we did it with Giambi. I just don't know if this is the right situation. We have just so many guys looking for a chance to get onto this roster, and the first base situation seems like the most obvious situation for making that happen. So as much fun as it is to think about, as much fun as it is to trade for him in MLB The Show and put Pujols on your team, I don't think this is the right situation for him. We'll see if he even signs with anybody else or if he just rides off into the sunset and into the Hall of Fame. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Kansas City. It's the Indians 4 and the Kansas City Royals nothing. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.